This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. <laughs> Dawn Zeger became calmer. She became powerful in her own life. She transformed. And along the way, her partner did some of his own transformation. He willingly came along for the ride. Dawn helps you become the princess whose kiss transforms the person in your life. And if that toad doesn't transform with you, she will help you move on without guilt. Valeria Tellis interviews Dawn Zeger, a certified life coach, mother, former on-air personality, and speaker. Dawn Zeger helps women leave a toad to find their prince. Her coaching program, Make Baggage Your Bitch, takes women in crappy relationships to the happily ever after they want. With a toad? Just broke up with a toad? A toad left you? With a prince but not feeling the love? Dawn shows women how to permanently get away from toads or how to turn a toad into a prince. Dawn helps women get away from their own damsel in distress and evil witch modes to become the powerful princess who gets what she wants. She does this by helping women uncover the emotional baggage that keeps them in toad land. She's a princess who found her prince after decades in toad land. She's a certified life coach, mother of five, her own and extra kids, and former on-air personality. She got her MA at Penn State. Meet Dawn at therebuildingcoach.com. Here is the interview with Dawn Zeger. In your own words, who is Dawn Zeger? Oh my goodness, that is a really awesome question. Oh gosh, and this will reveal a lot about me. So who am I? I am somebody who really loves to help other people and care about other people. And I'm a life coach and a mom and a stepmom and a wife and an ex-wife, a really, really good friend. And I guess I'm also a person that Cleans the kitchen and cooks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> all yeah. included, yeah. yeah right. Exactly, all of, kinds of things. Of course. I love that. I'm a friend. I have heard before that in order to become somebody else's friend, we need to be our own friend, our own best friend. How would you describe being 
our own best friend? What would that look like from your perspective, Don? That's also a great question too, because, and that's something that I'm still working on. And I think we work on a lot because it's so easy to look at yourself and just be brutally mean. And you say things to yourself that you would never, ever say to a friend. So the key to being a friend with yourself or to be a friend to yourself is to actually look at the things that have happened in your life with compassion rather than beating the crap out of yourself. And that is something that we're not, you know, taught to do. Like we feel guilt and shame. And and there's times when, in fact, um, after my second divorce, I was in therapy and I was talking about my past and my therapist actually said, like, you are so hard on yourself. She's like, you're beating yourself up for, you know, doing stuff in your thirties. And she's like, what your 30-year-old Dawn needs is a hug from the current Dawn. Like to understand like why was she so unhappy or what was happening and rather than beating her up saying, you didn't do this right and you didn't do this right. It's just like, no, give her a hug. She was having a really bad decade. Yeah. I write and I talk a lot about unconditional self-love as a, a form of, of practice. But do you believe that it's possible to get there as a destination? Is there one for unconditional self-love? Yes, I think there is. And this is going to sound corny, um, but I relate it to God. And so, so, and I get there at a roundabout way with kids. So I have three kids and two um, extra kids. And I think to myself, like the unconditional love or unconditional compassion or whatever for my kids is like, of course, like no matter what my kids do, like, there's nothing that could make me not love them. Mm, and then I think yeah. if that's true, so if I'm feeling that for my kids and I think, oh my gosh, that's what unconditional love from God would be like. Like, it doesn't matter what you do, you're still completely loved. And so I think if I can do it, mm. if I can understand that with God and if I can unconditionally love my kids, it's like I can, I, I think it's totally possible to step outside yourself and then look at everything that happened and just, and and try to like, imagine yourself as like a kindergartner, right? Like you're not going to be horrible. Like you're going to be compassionate. And so it's almost like it's easy to be compassionate with ourselves when we look at us as a five-year-old. But then if like, oh, if you're 35, well, forget it. The (laughs) compassion needs to end, right? True. (laughs) So I think think that's what I try to think of it like. Yeah, I love this comparison with God. And I often wonder if we can do that as adults, just love each other unconditionally. Have you thought about or talked about that in relationships? Is that possible? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's totally possible because, but I think the first thing to get there is to have compassion for yourself. So I think it's really, really hard to have compassion for somebody else if you're always beating yourself up. Because I think like what we do to ourselves inwardly, we do to others outwardly, like we're super critical or whatever. And I think, and I think the more compassionate you are with yourself, then obviously it's going to extend to your relationship because you have practice being compassionate. And so, yeah, I think, but I think it is something that we're always striving for. Like, I think it's much easier to go to guilt and shame and blame and all that kind of good stuff. I love the way you uh, use the word, the idea of compassion attached to unconditional love compassion. It's almost like the foundation for that. It makes a lot of sense to me. You mentioned God earlier. Do you have any spiritual practices, Don? Well, I grew up Catholic, and I'm not Catholic anymore, um, but 
in fact, we're having a wedding celebration in a couple of weeks in the Episcopal Church. So I'm I'm totally a believer, like totally, totally, totally. But I don't, well, I guess you could say I go to the Episcopal Church now and I was raised Catholic. So yeah, I mean, it's like, I probably have not been, I want to go to church more, but yeah. COVID, I have to admit, I kind of got out of the habit. <laughs> but but yeah. yeah, but as yeah. far as spiritual practices go, like I think even life coaching yourself is a spiritual practice. Yes. And, right. and I think just all of it being compassionate to others. Like I think, and yeah. And, and of course I talk to God all the time. Mm. I shouldn't say of course, I guess some people don't, but of course I do. I do. What is God to you? Or well, where is God? Well, it's interesting that you said that when I was growing up, you know, in one of the churches I used to go to, there was a big painting of a gray haired old man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so yeah. When yes. you're growing up, it's like, Oh, <laughs> That's the man named God. Okay. (laughs) And he's judgmental and he's unhappy with people. And you should get blind to go to communion if you've done. Anyway, I've (laughs) blown all that out of my mind. I no longer have those thoughts. And my thoughts now are just more toward the unconditional love. Like that's what Mm. it is. Like absolute unconditional love and patience. Yeah. So to me, that's what God is now. Yes. That resonates very much with me, the idea of unconditional love. Yes, yeah. When it comes to relationships, what is a, that picture of a great relationship? The one that I'm in now. Mm, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, how beautiful. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's wonderful because this is my um, third marriage. And it's funny because when my second marriage was completely falling apart, if you would have ever said you're getting married again, I would have said you are out of your mind. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that I'm, but I, but I think what it is, is most wonderful relationship is when you have in my program, I would say the princess and the prince, um, meaning my husband is the prince and I'm the princess. And we're always looking to figure out what that means. Like, like in this way, what would a princess do in this situation? Because I realized that for years I was actually thinking I was a princess, but I wasn't. I was a damsel in distress or an evil witch. And the evil witch never gets what she wants, and neither does the damsel in distress. And so I think a great relationship is when you've got two people who look at their role. And and it could be, um, I said it in a heteronormative way, prince and princess, but it could be two princes, two princesses, but normally I coach women. Uh, Sometimes they are um, lesbian, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Just two people that know that they are striving to be a certain way. And then they actually ask themselves, like, how do I want to act now? So there's a lot to do with inner work and this, um, yeah, healing the inner world. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would say it's all inner work because like, I know that, um, and, and one thing that I really think too is for the longest time, especially after my second divorce, I was like the victim and it was all his fault and all that crap. And luckily I have a great coach. And then she kind of helped me see, like you're in the most powerless position when you are the victim and blaming. So how about if you created the toad? And I was like, what? And now I realize like, of course I did. Because like people, you know, feed off each other. And so I've noticed Mm -hmm. that if I make changes within me, it has a huge influence Mm. on the people that I'm in a relationship with. So I I think it's all inner work actually. And then you influence, like when you do inner work and then you think differently and act differently, like it has a huge effect on the people that you're in a relationship with. 
sometimes I get into this uh, conversation about self-love and selfishness. The self-love is not being selfish. Do you get to talk to your clients about this and explore these, the difference between self-love and selfishness? Yeah, it's so funny that you even mentioned that is because, gosh, there's so much with the <laughs> patriarchy. So it just depends yeah, on what yeah. they mean by selfish. So for example, it could be, you know, some women that I coach might say, well, you know, if my kids have to make their own dinner while I take a bath, I'm being selfish. And I'm like, what? And so, so we investigate yeah. all that kind of stuff. Because like if somebody says self-aware or selfish, it's like we all have our own vision of like, what does selfish mean, right? And yeah. so a lot of it is women are, I think, socialized to think that, you know, anything you do for yourself, mm-hmm. you got to pedicure, you're selfish. Yeah. You know, you, you know, yeah. you didn't make dinner one night, you're selfish. And so, so rather than defining like what is selfish and what is not selfish, it's really like how is it affect like if if I think like me taking a bath like while my kids make their own chicken nuggets or whatever mm-hmm. isn't selfish like yeah but but what if you think that it is like how is it affecting your life um, mm-hmm. and how is it keeping you stuck and all that kind of good stuff so yep the next one's about the purpose of the human experience what do you think that is. Oh my gosh. I think it's to grow. Like I, yeah, I think humans have so much potential and I think you just have to get out of your own way. But I think, I think that's what it is. It's like, I, I think just the more self-aware and the more self-work that you do, like you just become so much more aware. And I think closer to God, closer to being what you were put on the earth for, and it's painful and wonderful. Like, yeah. <laughs> Did yeah. I answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> to grow, to evolve. Yeah. What is your ideas of on control or self-control? Or do you believe that we can control everything or half of the events of life? Well, I think you can control the things that you can see. And so, like mm. I said, when I was going through my second divorce, I was convinced that, you know, yeah. he was such a jerk and he was an alcoholic and he lied and he cheated and all that kind of stuff. Like, how could it be me? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would say, like, as far as control, like I started to gain control of that story in my head when I realized it was a story. And it's kind of funny. I'm a life coach. Mm. Right. But just because you're a life coach doesn't mean, you know, <laughs> we need coaches, too. Right. right. And so I think as far as control, it's like I can't really control the results in my life until I can actually see the stories and see what I'm creating. Um, And it was kind of funny because the other night um, or about a week ago, my hubby was having a day where he was just being kind of quiet. He was having kind of a bad day or whatever. And the old me would have had like no control in the sense that I would have just been like, oh, like <laughs> he should be acting differently. And why isn't he talking to me? And like, yeah, I asked yeah. him back from a trip. Doesn't anyone is like all this whiny moaning, like, which I call yeah. now the damsel in distress mode. And then I, so I took control of it in the sense that I realized like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. this is what your brain keeps doing. It's whining and complaining. It's like, what else could you do? Like, what if you want to be compassionate? What would you do? Like, rather than making it about me, I was aware enough to say like, I'm going to now make this about him. And so like, I ended up giving him an hour back massage, which is not what the old me would have done. I would have just been like, you know, I'm going to sit here and pout, but I'm like, like that gets you nowhere. And it was so much better for the relationship for me to say like, he already told you he's having a bad day. So what can you do to make it not all about you? And so I think as far as like control, I think we can control 
only the things that we're aware of with ourselves. In a way, by listening, isn't it? Uh, I know you say you use the word seeing, but that has to do with a lot of that idea of listening, paying attention, and then that creates clarity so we can take actions or see the possibilities, right? The options for behavior. I love the way you keep yeah, you, you keep coming back to compassion. That's really beautiful, Dawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I, think it's, I think it's because that's probably the biggest thing I need to learn for myself because I know that I've been very hard on myself in the past and, and it feels so much better. Um, you know, like for example, when I was married um, the first time, like my first husband and I like still talk, we have three kids together. But, but again, I was kind of like, you know, the sad victim. I was really lonely. And so rather, so I was, but I didn't realize that I was really, really lonely in my marriage. And so, but I kept beating myself up saying like, oh, I should have been a better mother. I should have, you know, played Barbies more with my daughters. I should have done this. But then I realized like, wait, babes, give yourself a break. Like you need to give yourself a hug. You were so lonely and so unhappy for, you know, at least 15 years. It's like, of course you acted a certain way because you were coming from loneliness and sadness. And so, yeah, it's like, so Learning compassion for me makes it so much easier to be compassionate for others. As you said, you're seeing, so we can only do something about what we can see. And that has to do with understanding, right? I do connect compassion to understanding, a law of itself. Yeah, and it changed everything too with my second husband. Because for the longest time, like probably for an entire year, I cried after our divorce and I hated his guts. And now, honestly, if I saw him, I would love to give him a hug. I don't think he's up for hugging me. I think he probably still hates me. Um, But honestly, it's like I think to myself, well, if he did A, B, C, and D, like, like what was happening for him? Like, I'm sure it. You know, if you're cheating on your wife, I'm sure you're not coming from a happy, fun place. And so I try to be, and if you're drinking a lot, again, so it's it's been helpful for me to be compassionate when I think about him rather than just being blaming and hateful. Because like you've heard, I know you've heard that before, like the hate only hurts me. Mm, like yes. he's sitting here hating him yes. is not hurting him. Like he's going off on his, in his day, you right. know. It sounds very spiritual to me, the way you speak, because that is uh, the idea of becoming, being less attached to the I, to the me, as this entity that uh, that's the center of the world, and everything revolves around me, it's all about me. So it's expanding that perspective and seeing that's not all about me, it's about others too. Yeah, that sounds very spiritual to me. What inspired you to become a life coach? because I hated my old job. So it's <laughs> simple as that. I love the people that I worked with, but I worked in country music radio for, I don't know, probably eight years or so. And I was literally just, I was kind of bored at work. And I was just like, I have this big brain. I'm really charismatic. Like there's so much that I want to do. And like I said, nothing against country music radio. And I loved my boss, but I was just really bored. And I was just like, what could I do? And so I discovered, um, a life coach who had a podcast and I had a commute every day of like an hour and a half total. And so I started listening to this podcast and I was like, oh my gosh, this life coaching stuff, like your thoughts create your feelings. What? I was like, yeah. And so I was kind of blown away by it. And so, but actually it started because I read a book by Martha Beck called like finding your own North star, which is kind of, and I thought I'm just going to read this because she'll help me figure out what I should be doing. Mm -hmm. And then I and she's a life coach and I didn't get trained by her, but I was like, oh, maybe I should become a life coach. And so I went through my year of life coach training um, 
while I was working full time. So yeah. yeah, and then I quit my radio job, and here I am. And I also love the how how fun you are with these uh, serious topics. We tend to take everything so seriously, but you make everything lighter <laughs> and fun. I, I, I try. It's kind of funny because yeah. I just I just did a, an advanced relationship coach training in California um, about two weeks ago, and we had to take before we got there. They wanted us to take this via 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 like kind of like a personality test or whatever. And humor came in as my number one strength. And I was surprised. I was like, really? And people were like, Dawn, you are one of the funniest people I know. And I'm like, oh, I always feel like I'm so serious. And they're like, no, I I am pretty, yeah, I'm very goofy. Oh, that helps a lot. This, uh, the realm of women, we tend to be more serious than men for some reason. So yeah, that I mean, helps. I'm very serious, but now I'm I'm actually kind of a goofball. So. <laughs> yeah, you come across very funny. <laughs> light, I call light because it has to do with the kind of relates to spirituality, being playful and lighter. Yes, yes it's kind of funny because I think I was born smiling. Like I, I think I was born just happy and optimistic and smiling. And then there was a couple times in my life where I was not happy and smiling. But I think, yeah, I think my... Mm-hmm. Like innate being is just light and happy and yeah, fun. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. So thank you for being you, Don. Mm, you're welcome. Your coaching program is titled Make Baggage Your B-I-T-C-H. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As I mentioned mm-hmm. off record, yeah, I won't pronounce the word. Uh, right. And your podcast too. So talk to me about um, the program, how it works and who is a good fit for it. Well, if you are a, um, I, I, I have one man, um, client or one male client, but most of them are women. So if you're in a relationship and you're just not thinking it's going the way that it should, meaning maybe you got, and like I said, I always use the terms like toad and prince. Like if you feel like you're in a relationship with a toad, either the toad dumped you or you're with somebody who's a toad or the person acts like a prince and you're just still not happy. That is who I talk to. So some of the clients that I have now are debating whether or not they leave a relationship. And so, um, which is a very serious thing, obviously. But what we do to start is, I, I make it simple. I'm like, either the person you're with is truly a toad and they cannot transform into a prince or you are so powerful, you created the toad. And people are like, what? Like, no, he's a jerk. Like he's a toad. Like it's not my fault. But the thing is though, as I kind of mentioned earlier, that's the powerless place to be. The powerful place to be is, wait, I'm creating this relationship. Like I'm creating all of the responses or whatever, um, is a much more powerful place. Like, so to play in that powerful area where I have so much power with my brain and my actions that I'm actually creating the reality that I live in, like that's a much better place to start. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's empowering to be there, not as a victim, right? Right. Oh, trust me, I was in victim mode for a long time and it kind of sucks. <laughs> oh, yeah, tell me about it. Me too. Yeah. yeah. When we are in this relationship that's not working, what are the signs, or the major signs, Don? Well, what I did is I actually wrote about reasons why people stay in bad relationships. Um, it was an episode on Make Baggage Your B-I-T-C-H, I think it was episode eight, called Are You Under an Evil Spell? And so that's what I think is kind of a litmus test, is are you really feeling like you want to leave a relationship, but you're not? 
and then you feel trapped because right. you think that the kids are going to be ruined or you're going to be financially destitute or all that's out there is toads. There's no princes left. And there's there's a bunch of different reasons. But So those are reasons why women stay in bad relationships. But I think the test is really just how do you feel mm, like yeah. when you're in the relationship? Like are you like, – like I said, in my first marriage, I felt really, really lonely. And then in my second marriage, I felt really, really defensive. And now I feel really – great in, in my third marriage. And so I think it really, I think people that are in relationships, they're not happy. Like they already know that they're not happy in their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, some of, some of the big signs would be, um, like two of them would be if you feel contempt for your partner or if you're really super highly critical and yeah, I was a check and a check. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that's from maybe, it might be from the Gottman Institute. I'm not sure, but there's like a couple different signs that your relationship's probably not going to do okay. But to me, I, I I look at it like feeling. It's like, how do you feel when you're in it? Do you still have some conflicts? Do you still f- have those, let's say, negative emotions from time to time? Or is that possible to be happy all the time and have this? <laughs> no, 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 right? yeah. no. It's kind of funny. Like we probably like, oh yeah, we still, you know, argue and like. But but the difference is that with my first and second marriage, there was not really a lot of talking. There wasn't a lot of mm-hmm. communication. And with and with my with my husband now, you know, like it it could be that I know him well enough where he if he's upset about something, he might need a day to like think about it or process it. And with me, I'm more like, ah, you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, but now I kind of notice, you know, like wait a second, like this is the story mm-hmm. that I'm creating in my mind. And and so so the difference is like, oh yeah, like I still you know, get annoyed or whatever. And so, so usually what I do now is I kind of first look inside and go like, okay, what do you, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking about this whole situation? So, yeah, so that, so yes, the answer is, um, but we talk it out. Like that's the thing. We act differently toward each other. I acted differently toward him. Like I, um, there's a really great book that I'm reading now called why talking isn't enough by a woman named Susan Page. I don't know if you've read it, but there's times when I will just, even if I'm annoyed, like like the other, yeah. the story I told you about before, you know, like I was yeah. annoyed, like, yeah. oh, I just got back from vacation. Why isn't he hanging out with me? <laughs> right, right. And so I acted as if, like, okay, yeah. if I was happy right now with him, what would I do? And then when you do it, it, it does influence things a lot too. It influences how I felt about myself that day. Like I was really proud of myself for like getting out of my own way. Yeah. So that's a very long answer to your question. I love this idea of understanding how if we can do work on those areas better so we can help them, as you said, that a woman can help a man to become better, a better man, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or even transform a man, right? Right. Yeah. Because like I said, like I look back at my, you know, my second marriage and like there was a lot of passive aggressive stuff and silent treatment and just arguing and being defensive and all that kind of stuff and not a lot of compassion. It was like, you know, I was digging my heels in on my side and he was digging his his heels in on his side. And yeah, I mean, I, I look back now and I'm like, oh, like what could I have done differently? Not beating myself up, but like for future knowledge, like if, if he was upset because I liked an ex-boyfriend's post on Facebook, rather than getting defensive, going like, you're not going to tell me who's, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> Just think like, I wonder why he's being so reactive. Like maybe we could yeah. have a conversation about it. And and yeah. that's where the, the princess stuff comes in. Because if I would have mm. said, listen, honey, I know mm. you're upset. I, I'd love to hear why. And so you, it's almost like you're inviting your partner to come into their own 
mm-hmm. you know, prince or princess power rather than, and, and sometimes they don't like it. Right. Like, yeah. Sometimes they don't, but um, in this case, I'll never know because we're, you know, not together anymore. But, but yeah, it, it's helpful for me to look at the past to see like, oh, what would I have maybe have done different there and then apply it to my current relationship. I love that idea of uh, becoming more curious and less judgmental of ourselves and others, right? Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, because like I think there's a lot of times when we do, we just instantly go to, to judgment and yeah. you can't really move very far when you're just judging the other person um, and even yourself. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah. When you can get curious about, well, what was I thinking? Like, you know, why am I feeling yeah. so judgmental? Like, what are the thoughts in my mind? Like, I shouldn't have done that or I should have done that better or that wasn't okay. Like, all mm. of these stories that we have in our minds mm. that we don't, we, we just think we're telling ourselves the truth. We don't understand that we're, this is just thoughts. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? right. And what a fascinating topic because, yeah. yeah, we see that with trauma, that's, it's huge. The conclusion is the brain concluding, the mind thoughts mm-hmm. making a an end this is it instead of exploring what mm-hmm. what's happening with curiosity so we're almost at the end but i do have other questions here for you do you want to talk for a moment about the ebook that you offered i know it's not on your website anymore the emotional baggage bombs in 12 steps or oh, this is not something that you're doing at this time anymore Don't. it doesn't matter i mean i can put it back up on my site but but yes i came up with the idea of the emotional baggage bomb because when i first got with my husband when he when we were just started dating oh my gosh i was getting triggered constantly it was the first year and a half of our relationship was just full of anxiety on my end like he would do something really innocent and I call it an emotional baggage bomb because he might, like one time he said to me, you look cute in your yoga pants. Yeah. And I freaked out. Like that was an emotional baggage bomb for me because my brain was telling me that he was dangerous and he was a cheater and he just liked to check out women in yoga pants and he was a perv. Like it was horrible. And so an emotional baggage bomb is just like how you're interpreting just circumstances that happen, events that happen in your life, things that people say or things that people do or the news or whatever. And yes, so I had, yeah. And I can put that back because I talk about feelings and thoughts and and all that kind of stuff too, so. Right, it's fun though. I was laughing a lot by reading it. Oh, good. (laughs) The way you relate that to a bomb and (laughs) disarming the bomb. (laughs) It's really fun. But it might be something that if it's not connected to your work, current work, then we can talk for now. And I can even remove that from the episode. No, no, no. Actually, it is totally connected to my work. In fact, the only reason I changed it is because emotional baggage bombs, like people don't automatically know what that means. And so the only reason I changed it to like leave the toad, find the prince is because people know exactly what I'm talking about. So really it was just, so yes, it's all still the same Um, because sometimes people are in relationships that feel toady because they're getting triggered constantly and they're not acting the way they want. And so, yeah. And so it could be that if in the beginning of my relationship with my husband, like when those emotional baggage bombs were being created by my mind, it's like, I was not, I was acting probably like a damsel in distress or an evil witch. And, and, and both of those things are totally fine because we kind of go in, I call it princess mode or evil witch mode or damsel in distress mode, like all the time. But I was living there a lot. I was there a lot. (laughs) 
And so there's people that I coach now that are the same way. Like they're, they're, they're feeling like their relationship is bad because they're getting triggered constantly and they're having, their mind is making up lots of stories that are right. probably not even true. So Right. That's very helpful. So you still have, is the same content with a different title. Is it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yep. that's wonderful to know. And let me see, Don, if I have other questions for you. I love the, um, the second, learn to identify the trigger and the explosion. So that is um, very helpful because we understand, I love the section where you talk about thoughts, that we can understand how thoughts work, the mind and all, all that. That's really clear to me, the way you outline those um, ideas. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, I love, love, love that. How thoughts are connected to emotions and feelings that, as you said, most of the time is just storytelling. It is. And I can, do do I have time to tell you one more thing? Yeah, yeah. So for example, um, so if I go back to that day when my then boyfriend, now husband said, oh, honey, you look really cute in your yoga pants. What happened is my brain started coming up with thoughts, but you don't think they're thoughts at the time. Like when you're triggered, it's just the truth. Your brain is, that's the way brains work is they're trying to protect you. And so it's going to throw out everything it can to, you know, to protect you. And so for me at the time, the thoughts, you know, were the things that I said before, like, oh, he's just some pervy guy. And he, that's all he does all day is look at women in their yoga pants and check out their butts. Like my, and it sounds funny now, but at the time it wasn't funny. (laughs) But because the thing is though, now it's like if my husband says, honey, you look really hot today. I'll be like, yeah, hello. <laughs> like I say something smart, you know yes, what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> like smarty pants, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> because I have different thoughts. Like I don't, yeah. I don't think that about him. Like I don't have those thoughts anymore. And so that's mm. the most powerful thing is getting curious as to what story is your brain creating that you think is just a fact and how is it affecting the results in your life? And so when you're thinking things that make you feel mm really, really anxious and scared, like it's not, it's not affecting your life well, but, but the first thing to do is to look at them and not judge yourself and just be compassionate. Like it made sense. Like I'd been cheated on, you know, before numerous times and yeah, of course I'm going to just assume that all men are scumbags, but I don't anymore. Yeah. Well, that's a, a huge helpful message. Understand our own thoughts, our own thought patterns and conditionings and traumas from the past. Yeah. That's a big one. I'm so glad to do that. You include those inner deep work. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Thank you, Don. Yeah, for getting there. It's, it's, a lot of people don't want to go that deep, as you know. Most of us want to stay at the surface and uh, mm-hmm. and not explore feelings. But this is where life is. Really, is that life that we want to live, that fulfilled life, as we can label that way. To me, it's just natural living kind of embracing everything and uh, pushing mm-hmm. away. Right. In fact, what you just said, like not pushing it away, because most of the time we do resist feelings because they don't, because oh, yeah. like half the time they feel great and half the time they don't feel so great. But honestly, yeah. processing emotions and feeling them is like the golden ticket. Yeah. Like that is the best thing you can ever do is like feel the emotions, even though like there's days where I'll say to myself, well, I'm feeling shame. I'm going to feel shame for the rest of today. And, it's almost like I don't I don't want to say that I enjoy it because I don't enjoy it, but I already know. Like if I let myself like kind of wallow in shame for half a day about something, then like the next day I always wake up going like, oh, okay, well that's done. So because we usually resist emotions and then we just eat a lot of food and ice cream and smoke 
pot and get drunk. <laughs> yes. That stuff. Yeah. That's the distractions, right? Escaping, trying to escape for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and coaching in, in my part, we called it buffering. And so mm, it's kind of like you feel a negative emotion right. and you want to buffer against it. And so you online shop or you yeah. drink or you eat or you, you know, do a million other things, work. Like you just do lots of things because you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't feel that. Like I don't want to feel bored. So I'm going to, yeah. Anyway. Right. And it's the, the emotions are still there. They don't go mm -hmm. anywhere. Right. Right. Exactly. They, yeah, they never go away. I have the ending questions for you, Dawn, in a minute. But I love the quote that you um, uh, have at the end of your ebook. You say, the heaviest load we carry is the thoughts in our head by Thomas Leroy, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Yep, I found some good stuff online, man. Yeah, yes. I was like, that's a good quote. <laughs> Very good and so true. So we're almost at the end. Before I ask you the final questions, would you like to add anything? No, just, uh, yeah, if you're a woman in a relationship and you're thinking you're in a toady relationship, <laughs> I'm the coach for you. Fun one at that. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I got a glimpse of it just now and before reading your work. <laughs> oh, good. So um, the ending question is, what is another word for love? Mm, God, I know that sounds so corny, but mm. yeah. And how do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Mm, well, to me, to be successful, um, making money would be great, but that's not the thing. I think having the life that I want, like if I could pick the way that I want my life to go to be successful. It, I mean, money's involved, but so is time with my husband, spending time with my kids, um, being able to cook meals that I want, exercising a couple times a week, spending time with my girlfriends. Like to me, a successful life is just making happen the things that I want to happen then not second guessing myself about it. Like, oh, I just worked out this morning. Should I have been writing a podcast instead? It's like, no, I need to work out. <laughs> like I'm 50, I'm 57. I need to keep, you know, lifting weights. Um, so to me, that's a, a successful life is not feeling, it's the feeling. It's feeling like, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm where I'm supposed to be and um, not beating myself up thinking I should do this and I should do this because that just feels crappy. Mm, yes, the shoulds, right. So true. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today? Um, that I can be not perfect in the past or in the present. And it's all just something that you can get curious about. Like it's possible to look back and say like, oh, I did this wrong or that wrong, or I don't want to be that and not feel bad about it. Think of like, well, good to know. Yeah. Like, I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, I, I was so afraid to look at, you know, the the guilt or the shame because I felt like well if 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 that's true then I'm just a bad person and I realized like no like you were doing the best you could at the time it's so interesting that you were thinking this but what do you want to do instead like kind of like helping pull yourself out of your own pit and my last question is what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment oh that's a good one too um, I know that God loves me. I know that I just adore and love my kids and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything works out in the end. 
Yes, a billion times to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Don, for your oh, presence, yes. your fun presence, the work you do in this reality and um, the wisdom. I love your wisdom, especially when you integrate sense of humor. There's a lot of wisdom there, for sure. Natural wisdom. Oh, yeah. I, I can, if I can laugh at myself, then I can laugh at you, too. No. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. It's inspiring. So before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your work, services, and future projects? Very easy. You can just go to my website, which is therebuildingcoach.com. And you can listen to, probably the best thing to do is, like I said, go to my site, therebuildingcoach.com, or listen to my podcast, Make Baggage Your B-I-T-C-H. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I'll have the link on your podcast profile too. Thank oh. you so much again, Dawn. We'll talk Thank soon. you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dawn Zeger and her work, please visit therebuildingcoach.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.